Before we get started, I want to let you all know about the art exhibit in Chicago called Trans Art Is. It's going on in the Andersonville Galleria on the top floor. You can find out more at uh, chicagotherapycollective.org. And September 1st from 7 to 9 p.m. is opening night. So just a little summary, the Andersonville Galleria is opening its doors to art produced by Chicago-based trans and gender non-conforming artists. Uh, so what trans art is and what transgender and, non- and gender non-conforming artists are expressing through their art is the focus of the exhibit's very first exhibit. Any Chicago listeners, definitely check it out. One more thing before the episode, homemadevisible.ca has contacted us and asked us to talk a little bit about their project. So home movies offer a glimpse into our past and reveal moments that define us. That's uh, per their website. Digitize and archive your old home movies for free. Today, the Canadian archives are lacking in home movie footage of indigenous and visible minority Canadians. As old film reels and videotapes threaten to fall apart with time, Homemade Visible invites Indigenous and visible minority Canadians to preserve their personal history by digitizing their movies and sharing their stories for themselves and their communities. All right, on with the show. podcast this is alia and ellie and we are the queer arabs i'm saudi and a lesbian i am bi trans and lebanese living in america and we have two amazing guests on today we have joy stacy and hadi damian hi guys hi thank you so much for being here we have joy who is currently in england and hadi who is currently in lebanon so joy what do you do um, so I'm a PhD researcher at the University of Sussex. Um, I'm the initiating producer of Queer Narratives Beirut podcast. Yes, and I love the podcast. Everyone should check it out. You can find it. I guess like I follow your Instagram. Where else can you guys can people find you? QueerNarrativesBeirut.com or iTunes or SoundCloud or any kind of podcast streaming apps. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It's really awesome to be connecting. Yes, thank you for being here. And Hadi. Hadi, how are you? Good, good, quite good, thank you. Thanks for being here. Are you currently in Beirut? I am. Awesome. Hadi, can you introduce yourself? My name is Hadi Damian. I'm 29 and I am the initiator of Beirut Pride. Oh, Damian, okay. No, no, both work. Both work. Don't worry. Okay. So yeah, Hadi is the director of Beirut Pride. And for those of you who've been keeping up, yes, that director of, yes, of Pride. Yes, Hadi is that person. For, um. No, but for the for the people who are just joining us, you know, who are late to the party, this year at Beirut Pride, Hadi was arrested and basically told to not do it. It was kind of a thing in the news. We even well, it was about quite. It. it was quite of a thing in the news, actually, um, with a lot of speculation and with a lot of fast food news and journalism that uh, made some information quite not 
totally accurate. Um, it's not that I was told not to do it. It was that uh, the general prosecutor of Beirut took the decision to suspend the activities of Beirut Pride with my consent, without my consent, with my existence, and without my existence. So the activities had to be suspended till May 20. And uh, the, upcoming, the, the days afterwards were um, days where some venues that were supposed to be hosting events for Beirut Pride were visited by the police. And visited is quite an euphemism. Like they were raided by, by police officers. And uh, yeah. Wow. And how is Pride set up in Beirut? Is it a parade or is it like a different format? In uh, May 2017, when we started Beirut Pride, like we had this platform called Beirut Pride taking place over many days and also having very diverse activities um, and happenings. The aim of the first edition was to um, get the pulse, was to get the feeling of the LGBT people of Beirut and uh, the surroundings. So how would people react to just having and dealing with the label of Beirut Pride? Uh, that carries a lot of, of intensity, carries a lot of things actually within itself. Uh, 2017, we never thought that people would be so interested and so keen on, on, on being around Beirut Pride and being so vocal about LGBT matters. Usually people are vocal about LGBT matters and their, and their private conversations. It was not something that we used to see, like uh, having quite a lot of people attending an event just to publicly speak LGBT or be around LGBT matters. We planned a march in 2017, and we thought that we're going to have about 40 people to participate, to walk. However, in the course of the week, we realized that we had more and more people willing to join, the people wanting to, to be part of this march. And here, you know, it's a march, it's not a, a protest, so it is, it's totally different setting. Yeah. It means that you cannot, um, you, you cannot conceive something for 30 people and end up having uh, 200 people or 400 people or 1,000 people, because uh, especially as the first event dubbed Beirut Pride, you would lose a lot of credibility when you are doing something containing more people than what you initially expected. And that was not something that we were able to, to control. So we knew it would be better actually to change what was happening on that last day in 2017. And uh, we diverted people to a beautiful uh, venue actually overlooking the Mediterranean, overlooking the city and so on. Oh. And people were there, they were uh, teaching, playing, uh, jamming, music, uh, that was quite a lot of food, with barbecue and stuff like this, people were turning, people were dancing and so on, it was quite lovely. Yeah. That was in 2017. In 2018, um, the Pride was taking place from 12th of May to the 20th of May. And uh, when we launched the program, you would see nothing on May 20, simply because we were literally finalizing all the required matters for us having a walk in March, on Sunday, May 20. However, when I was arrested on May 14th and then released on 15th, the next day, and uh, the, the decision of the general prosecutor to suspend the activities, there was no possibility to, to, to have a march on Sunday. Especially that um, people in town got also quite uh, scared, especially when the police uh, raided many venues. And uh, that was not something that uh, made people extremely enthusiastic. Because yes, 
definitely everybody wants to be a rebel everybody wants to express themselves and to and to and, and to face all forms of oppression but at the end of the day you know when you witness violence or when you witness uh, abuse of power it really makes you consider your your, your option and uh, i believe this is what happened and a lot of people did you know they felt that it would be better not to have uh, not to not to do not to walk okay if we were going to do something on uh, sunday may 20. because also you are oh, not to forget that not very long time ago we in beirut still had the police raid a lot of pro-LGBT places, arresting, like arbitrary, detaining people and so on. So when I arrived to this, uh, to the venue, and police was, the officers were already there, uh, waiting for me and so on, uh, people were already scared because uh, they felt that something might escalate and then they would be like, literally uh, stopped, like taken to, 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 to a police station or anything. So uh, we, 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 we don't, a lot of people were very critical of this, of, uh, of, of young and uh, uh, young people who just decided to take it slowly, uh, or some other people in the thirties who didn't want to, uh, to, to, to be vocal about it. But you know, at the end of the day, we don't understand people. We don't understand that people have the right to fear. And uh, at the end of the day, it just happened. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a pleasant uh, happening at all. On the short term, it's definitely crippling because it gives you a lot of work. It gives you um, a lot of uh, things you need to process and you need to go through. Um, and at the end of the day, um, for the short term, it is crippling. However, for the medium term, for the long term, this is something that can be used and uh, we can ref reflect on this in a positive way because a it gave us more. Um, credibility because uh, for a lot of people the way I personally handled the crackdown was a very good thing so a lot of people were, were very pleased with it also with my reception of what was happening at the same time uh, we were offered a lot of local media platforms to, to, to speak and uh, it made a lot of people extremely sympathetic with, uh, with, uh, with Beirut Pride because we were put in the victim situation and uh, a lot of people just were, you know, looking at us, at this happening, saying, oh, look, another episode where you have LGBT people being uh, persecuted. Uh, so, yeah. so for the medium and for the short terms, this is not something traumatic. And uh, actually we're keeping and working on our um, initiatives and projects. We're even developing new ones and things are just moving forward in a beautiful way. That's awesome. Are there other organizations that Beirut Pride partner is able to partner with and get support from? Actually, as we always say, our channels of communication are open to everyone. Literally, we don't come from the passive aggressive approach whereby, you know, it's very simple. If we have any problem with any person, we just go to the person and speak to them. It's not like uh, having this uh, dramatic uh, attitude or yeah. cutting people and so on, absolutely not. In 2017, we had uh, two NGOs who were on board. In 2018, we also had two other NGOs who are on board. We're not exclusively working with uh, only LGBTIQ plus NGOs. We're working with any single uh, structure, organization, a group of people that have something uh, to share and something valuable to give to 
people who are around Beirut Pride. We don't use the word people attending Beirut Pride because, you know, Pride in general, and this is something a lot of people confuse, Pride in general is not the goal in itself. A Pride is simply a means. It's simply a way for visibility. And it goes with no surprise to realize that places in the world where LGBT rights are the most advanced are the places and the cities that host the biggest pride. Yes. Visibility comes hand in hand with you having better, I would not say rights, but having better spaces for you to be yourself. Because at the end of the day, this is what rights actually means. We, we, we are partnering with small businesses. We are partnering with other organizations, definitely. We are partnering with individuals, a lot of individuals, especially people from the creative industries. Who, who just have something to say, who just have something to, you know, for example, Joy, Joy Stacy, who has her creative beliefs and who approached us. You know, this is a person, this is an individual approach, an individual thing. And when people do something in a, in a good way, when they are kind, when they do things properly, when they respect each other's limits and borders, this is when you really want to develop things like moving forward. And we had the chance, for instance, to be on this uh, podcast, Queer Art Beirut, and it was a, a very lovely conversation. I'm sure. Actually, I spoke yeah. and uh, Joy was nodding her head. There's a beautiful video on YouTube where you can see her <laughs> all her facial expressions. <laughs> I've ever done. Easy as <laughs> And then you know and this is an example you have like a lot of graphic designers who also design specific posts and then they, they share it and then we repost them on a very pride you have a lot of, the, of designers who just decided to who already do t-shirts and stuff but who decided to have t-shirts with uh, more rainbow and love and stuff like this so in the frame of this system that is uh, of this ecosystem that is uh, fostered by a platform a uh, large platform uh, Complicated platform and so on. People are more are more and more vocal about what they do, and this is fantastic. Especially that a lot of people who are present on Beirut Pride are quite young; they're in their twenty, early twenties, and so on. And this is when you realize that we are doing something very good. We're doing something properly because at the end of the day, we're tapping into a very sensitive topic, which is part of your identity. And for some people, this is their identity, whether they are gay, bisexual, transgender lesbian, queer, uh, inter, and so on. Yeah. So when you are spearheading a platform like this one and delegating the, the politics, and we know that the internal politics are way more severe than the external ones because they are way more sensitive. There is a lot of, of passion invested. There is a lot of drama, obviously. <laughs> so you have to oh, you yeah. have to keep your head extremely cool so you can understand everybody's perspective and point of view. You need to be extremely consistent with yourself. I also come from a theatre background, so I know very much that you should never ever lie to your, the audience. So this is something I apply in all my projects. I never lie to anyone around. And uh, people end up trusting you because when you are having the same discourse, you are consistent and therefore they trust you and they might not see eye to eye with you in everything. But at the end of the day, they know that there is something solid behind it. And this is when they want to, 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 to give more and more. I like that. I like that um, being consistent. That is, that's a very important point. Yeah, I also like the whole authenticity point because I realize the dynamic in Beirut is, and Lebanon is much different than, say, in America. Like, 
in Beirut, you're within driving distance of anyone who talks uh, badly of you. So it's a very close community, whereas in America, you can get away from people. Absolutely. You know, a, a friend of mine always tells me, uh, actually, she's, uh, she's born in Paris. Her mother is, Laban uh, her mother is Lebanese, her father is French, and she grew in, in France. Well, she was having a situation last week simply because uh, she's used in France when she dates a guy and they are not together anymore. She will not bump into him anymore, period. So she's in Lebanon. She has her uh, Lebanese boyfriend. And minimum twice a week when they are out, they end up bumping into the ex-girlfriend. Oh, my God. And, uh, and the guy, of course, like he says hello. And then he introduces the ex-girlfriend to the current girlfriend. And the current girlfriend is very shocked because she does not understand why no matter where she goes, there is still this ex-girlfriend that is present. And she doesn't understand why this ex-girlfriend is so friend, uh, so friendly with her. And she suggests to go have her nails and do all these dirty things with her. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, I totally understand also. But it would be a little bit inaccurate to say that Lebanon and the U.S. are totally different. Because, you know, US by, the U.S. by themselves well, you know, you have the East Coast, you have the West Coast, you have everything in between. Uh, let's also say that uh, compared to some states in America, Beirut is still uh, more relaxed in LGBT matters. Oh, know? absolutely. We definitely. Yeah. So also, this is something that you have to. This is something that you have to, to be very delicate about. Uh, of course, without going into too much uh, sensationalism and orientalism and whatever. So yeah, but this is very important, as you said. And the uh, proximity you have with people is toxic sometimes because you really feel that you are working in a village thing. It's like a closed circle. And I personally hate the word community. I abhor the word community. I don't understand why people want to use the word community. What, what do you hate about it? I, you know, I have an issue with all the words that we misuse. And community is definitely one of them. Activism is one of them. Advocacy is one of them. And definitely human rights is one of them. Because, you know, every now and then you have these buzzwords and buzz expressions that everybody wants to use, like entrepreneur, everybody is At the end of the day, unless we define the meaning of this uh, idiom and we make sure that we agree on what it means. Oh no. Uh, oh, we lost Tadi. We'll, we'll get him back one second. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, the one disappointing Beirut. <laughs> I might just keep this bit in, just be like, oh, hey, Beirut authenticity. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Very little infrastructure. Yeah. Internet oh. isn't always reliable. Oh. Hey, there's no fireworks in the background. We're winning. <laughs> yeah, I got tinnitus since I got back to England because there's not constant noise. My God, that's so weird. Like the opposite yeah, it's really weird. effect. Uh, this reminds me of a joke I heard from my parents. Like during the war, it's like, would you like to have dessert before or after the bombing? Oh my you God. Know? That's some dark humor for you. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> but do we want to continue this conversation before or after the internet goes out? Yeah. <laughs> or during. Or during. Yeah, so while it's just you, Joy, um, what made you decide to start um, the podcast? Well, I guess it's um, a, lot, a lot of different factors. But um, mm -hmm. so the first time I was in Beirut was two years ago. Um, and I was at an exhibition opening and I got talking to this guy, Rakan. And after a bit of persuasion he started telling me a little bit more about what he did he was quite shy about it but he was an electro musician um and he said well I do these kind of performances and so i eventually got him to sh show me on youtube what it was that he did and it was this insane like gender fuck amazing performance 
Um, we had multiple personas. He had like three different personas. And it was just like, it was stuff that, it was work that was really like amazing avant-garde talent for any city. But like this guy is in the middle of Beirut, right? So right. I started asking questions like, um, and there's such a vibrant community of incredibly talented people. I've never been anywhere quite like it in terms of the level of talent that everyone has and all these different expressions of things mm -hmm. that you just don't normally see in Arab community, like, well, at least publicly anyway. And so, so yeah, so I had this idea from that point that I wanted to do something that was um, kind of drawing attention to these extraordinary people who um, in different ways and different walks of life were, 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 were dealing with the issues of gender and sexuality and public life, particularly also because I've got a lot of um, Palestinian friends and like, because I do a lot of work in the West Bank um, and I've got a certain number of queer Palestinian friends. And I know that they look at Beirut as well as being this sort of hub of queer culture. So, yeah, so I was in Beirut in January and I sort of started asking around saying, you know, how would a podcast work? You know, do, what do people think about this? And the response was amazing. Everybody the advantage of it being such a small society in terms of like everyone knows everybody but th that makes it really easy to then create a collaboration um which is what i i i focus on um is creating media collaborations and through podcasting i kind of chose that because there's um an intimacy to podcasting that you don't get through a lot of other mediums but also there's an anonymity and it takes away from the objectification so people can just have their story told um, yes. in their own way so yeah so it was very organic um it just sort of yeah i just started asking lots of people different questions and um very quickly names were coming out of the woodwork and other people were getting involved to come and produce and it just sort of all fell into place by itself which is one of the wonderful things about working in beirut that's kind of familiar yeah i love the intimacy of podcasting it's like yeah these one-on-one -on -one conversations you get to have with people for a solid hour or so i mean that usually doesn't get to happen yeah and it's um, not a form it, while you can do this format with a lot of bombast and noise and there's a lot of podcasts that don't do it in fact some of like the best avoid it altogether so i think it is a much slower more mature format yeah yeah absolutely um i i, I was a research assistant on a book on podcasting as well and so i had the fun of being able to talk to young podcasters around the world and I was talking to these two guys in China who were using podcasting as a way to talk about uh, what well, was a way to mock the government in China and um, because it was a podcast it was that level of it was an, it was anonymous and it was loud enough for the people that wanted to hear but not so loud that people that might want to stop them from doing it were listening which I mean for me like you know, in terms of gender and sexual freedoms, that's totally the, like one of the main focuses of what I do in my work. So it just seemed, it seemed, it seemed like an ideal tool for having a, a discussion about things that people might not always be yeah. able to have a discussion. Hadi, are you back? Yes, I don't know what happened. This is, a <laughs> this is a conspiracy and it's incredible. The moment I asked Joy a question, it just cut. Yeah, I know. What the heck, Google? Also, um, you see, also that authentic Beirut experience right there. But, 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 this, is, but this is ridiculous, actually, because uh, I didn't have any internet cut because my phone was still ding, ding, ding all the time, you know, as we speak. So I don't know what happened. I'm going to blame Google on this because... Bad Google, no cookie. Bad Google. So... So sorry, anyway. Oh, no worries. So let's... So let's go back to actually what I was saying earlier, because you were asking me about communities and so on. So what do two gay men have in common? Joy, your answer. Um, well, wow, that's a <laughs> You're on the spot, Joy. Um, I think it would be up to those two individuals to define it for themselves for the sake of diplomacy. 
fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you know, sense. But, yeah, bravo, bravo, actually, quite impressive. You, you know, when you when you just look at it and they and they, uh, like two gay men, what do they have in common? Well, I see that they have two things in common. First, they both have this desire to be uh, physically and emotionally uh, with another man. Mm -hmm. And the second thing they share is that they are both uh, facing hate and discrimination based on whom they love and who they are in, 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 in general. So these are the two attributes of, uh, these are the two elements that two gay men have in common. Now, their political orientation, their economical orientation, their, uh, their, the languages they speak, their religion, they want to follow it, they want to follow it, and so on. These become secondaries. So question is, if we just want to look at these two common elements as being the ground to have the gay community, then I have no problem with the word, with the expression gay community. But if we are advertising and advocating for a lifestyle, whereby you as a gay man, you need to wear a crop top or you need to have, uh, you need to listen to Beyonce, not to Britney, or you, you know, all these things. This is when you're having a lot of dissonance uh, who are uh, practicing gay man, for example, but who would not relate to, uh, to, 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 to listening to the specific music or to specific political line and so on. I believe if we want to move forward, and this is something that we can learn from all the evolutions and all the gains we made recently when it comes to, to rights in general, to global rights in general. When you, when you talk to people who, for example, worked on the marriage equality project in America, the first thing they tell you, when you want to get something to change, you need to identify this thing. And then this very specific element is so the thing that you're focusing on, do not get diluted. It doesn't mean do not acknowledge intersectionality. Intersectionality is present while, whether you acknowledge it or not, because nobody lives in a bubble. However, for the sake of advancement and for things to move forward, things move forward step by step. They don't move forward like collectively. You don't have gains that are done, unless it's a revolution, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and in countries like Lebanon, where the concept of revolution cannot happen simply because of the composition of the of the of the society, of the, 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 the politics, and so on, you need to have one 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 project at a time. It doesn't mean that when you are doing this project, you will be annoying. Let's say screwing. Excuse my French. You will be <laughs> screwing other people uh, in their other battles that all other other problems. But it also means that if you really want to make any game, you need to be very focused on one specific point and to move in this specific direction without getting diluted and without getting um, lost along the way. Yeah, but it's not only it's not only in in, in, in rights, even in conversation. If you ask me a question and I answer to the question straight to the point, you understand me properly. But if when I am answering you, I will do I will be blabbing a lot like I always do. And Joy can talk a lot about this. And if I start going left and if I start going left and right, then obviously the, the, the you'll get bored, you will uh, I will lose momentum and we'll get nowhere. That actually puts a lot of clarity onto like a lot of the focus in the United States on the, on the gay marriage argument and why activists were so focused on that forever. I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. They just wanted to change this one specific thing and then go from there. 
But Ali, everything in the world, like, listen, people love to lag, whether they are in Lebanon or they are in the States. People love to lag. We all know that we are living in a world now where things are not optimal, very far from being normal, even or being relaxing. Mm-hmm. Economically, everything is not doing well, and so on. And for the upcoming 30 years, things economically will not be doing well, and so on. So you have a lot of stress, you have a lot of consum- uh, consumption of meat, for example, which is uh, which is uh, hindering all the productivity and the production of, uh, of the earth, and so on. So all these elements and all these resources that are lacking more and more are creating a, a reality that we are not insensitive to which means everybody wants their own capacity to create and to make change. But for you to make change, you need to be emotionally strong, you need to be focused, you need to be extremely disciplined, you need to have a vision, and you need to put a lot of time in it. And whether we acknowledge it or not, all these works are not paid. You don't make money out of it. So you are taking, putting active hours of you on the side, and instead of working on a project to make money, you are just working on other elements because you want things to move forward. And you are getting, you are being criticized by people who are simply doing nothing, simply because they are not being able to to to, to find their way in a very uh, crazy crazy world. So people to critique, this is something they do properly. We all critique a lot. But I believe it's very important that our criticism be very constructive to, set, to, to, to tell people what to, where we think that things can be improved, because this is quite important. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Like even with people who have very similar viewpoints and mentalities, like sometimes you'll see people just criticizing each other without really giving solid. Um, what would know, you change? Like, what is it that you want us to change? It's kind of like. Um, there, there are some situations where I feel like it is nitpicking and holding people back. So- yes, it's also a lot of uh, a lot of jealousy. We need to acknowledge this. I give you an example of criticism. Let's go back to our queer narrative period. I will not call Joy and tell her Joy. I hate the music that you play <laughs> because this will be criticism, and she will tell me, "Okay, thank you for sharing this with me, but what do I do with it?" And then, if I want to be like any regular person, I would simply say, oh, yeah, you have nothing to do with it, fine, I'm just taking a point, and I would just leave, and I would be extremely upset with Joy, who doesn't listen to me. But if I really want this music to change, I would come to Joy, and I would tell Joy, why did you decide on this music in particular? And she would start talking and explaining, because I wanted to convey this feel and this mood and this blah, blah, blah. And you're either convinced, and that I have nothing to say, and I shut up, or I will not be convinced, and I will tell her, oh, but what about this music and this, uh, this, uh, this track and this hit and this thing and so on. This is constructive, because I'm not criticizing only to criticize, I'm criticizing and I'm also offering an alternative. But if Joy doesn't want to, if she doesn't want to, to, to follow the, my, my reflection and she doesn't want to use any of the music I sent her, I am not to be very bitter and to start nagging and to boycott her and to call and to yeah. spread bad news. It's Hadi, where are you? Has he gone again? Uh, okay. Well, um, Joy, for the record, I love the music on the podcast. Thank you. It was all free. I found it on SoundCloud. Love <laughs> um, it. <laughs> um, 
We'll yeah, get for the record. Hardy really liked that music. He got me to send it to him so he could use it for the promotional material. That's so, so cool. <laughs> I love that example. <laughs> but I, I think Hadi's got a point though. I think um, something that really struck me about um, the community in Beirut, again, using that word community, but it's really difficult to find alternative words. It's only in the last, what, like, like Hadi was saying, it's only the last five years where the raids really stopped happening quite as much. So people it's in the right bars and the right environment, it's a very, very open side of society. But like, like most things in Beirut, anything goes as long as it's in private. Um, yeah. and, 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 and then that does mean that you've got this sort of very newly aware of itself in a new way, uh, community, um, which means that there's a lot of, a lot of fractures. I mean, like, like, like any community that's persecuted, there's going to be differences of opinion on how to proceed in terms of, um, trying to get those civil rights, trying to get that recognition, um, and trying to get that safety. So, so yeah, no, I, I really appreciate his, his approach to pride because, um, because he really he, the way the way that I worked with him was wonderful because he did have he does have that that way of feeding back anyway sorry I'm rambling a little bit no, no. That's, that was really good perspective to, yeah. um, I, I do like I his perspective that. on it too because yeah like the American approach like these days uh, feels really reactionary with again the protests the boycotts I think a really good example is the drag scene um which has only been there for the last kind of three years really um and there were two queens in particular that, that that brought the idea of drag to nightlife in terms of performance, um, Anya Nees and Evita Gadavra. And suddenly you've got this huge booming drag scene that sort of become, the, the first public event, publicly advertised drag event was only just before Christmas. So it's, it's such a young, and everyone in the podcast, pretty much everyone in the podcast was under 30. So you've got this enormous uh, young population of people who are really trying to create change but they're very new to it, you know, the, the, and, and understandings of queerness and what queerness means. Huge debate there. Um, yeah. and, and very few people can settle on the same meanings and the same ideas. And it, it makes it very, very difficult to have a general consensus, which is why I actually really agree with Hardy on the idea of using the word community, because it isn't, it isn't all at once, you know? Yeah, and that's true. It, like, I guess it's used so often that like a lot of people, it becomes meaningless. People don't know how to define it. And it, yeah. And Hadi, are you back? Hadi. Oh my God. I'm going oh, it's to okay. Because the more I talk, the more it cuts. <laughs> Google, stop trying to censor this. No, no, that was a perfect connection to this connection from my end. Oh, okay. Okay. So that was explainable. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we were just discussing what you had said about the word community, and I appreciate hearing that insight because, like you were saying, you know, eventually overusing a word makes it lose meaning. Yeah, yeah. that or you end up in situations where the gay community doesn't mean the gay community I'm talking about. Like, I have a friend who, when he talks about the gay community, he's talking about the young club scene where everyone just goes off and has fun. When we talk about the gay community, I'm talking about like activists and people providing services to gay and lesbian people and, you know, people who are homebodies and just, you know, do social events outside of the club scene. So it's like, yeah, gay community can involve both, but when you talk to people and they're thinking of these two distinctly different groups, it, uh, it can cause quite a bad disconnect. 
Yeah, that's why you need to identify and to explain the words that you are using, what they mean. And you, when you realize that, when you are explaining, actually, when you are, you take the example of capitalism. Now, when you, when people speak about capitalism, they are speaking about the current savage practice of capitalism. But I myself, every time I speak of capitalism, I speak of capitalism as being a system whereby the consumer is the one defining the price that they are paying. And this is when I, if I come now uh, in a very relaxed way, start talking about communism, that it's a good model because it is making the consumer decide on the amount they are paying. If in my face, in my front of me, I'm having a person who's considered to be uh, more of the, of, the, of the left and somebody who considers capitalism to be a very savage and it's, uh, and then it doesn't look at it as a, as a system, but looks at it as a current uh, savage practice, which is the case. Uh, then yes, there would be a dissonance between us, you know. For to avoid all this confusion and all this nagging and all these things, it's very important that we, we identify uh, the meaning of the words that we are using. Which unfortunately does not make good for good tweets or sound clips. So, uh, yeah. but you know, more problems with uh, consumer culture and capitalism, right? Yes. Uh, but yeah, now that we've gotten to the see this uh when you're holding events there and you're holding it for the quote unquote community uh yeah. we talk about events but what are the events exactly are we talking like hiv aids awareness std prevention workshops activism training you you yeah actually yes you did say it all what happens is that we have a series of uh, like you know back in 2017 for example we had screenings of a few movies we had this uh uh, we had a storytelling night. Uh, we had uh, we had a workshop about drag makeup. We had a lip syncing competition. We had a drag show. Uh, what did we have? Also, we have uh, you know we had uh, things like that. This year, for example, we had a brunch where we celebrated the parents who did not reject their kids because they are LGBTIQ plus individuals. So it was a very important gathering whereby we had some uh, people coming with their with their parents. And they were quite it's quite it was quite a touching thing because we received um, messages from people asking us to keep this um, event called family comes first on the program of beirut pride 2019 because then their parents would be ready to come with them as parents of gay or lesbian person to beirut pride so that was a very beautiful uh, gathering and it will be growing with the years we also had a brunch and a talk about trans in general, we had a very interesting and intense um, uh, drag event. It was the Beirut Grand Ball, and that was literally beautiful. We also had uh, another, uh, we had like a happy hour, a business happy hour. It was called, it was to announce the corporate pledge, which is uh, companies and uh, organizations uh, having policies that do not discriminate against their staff and uh, the clients who are LGBTIQ+. And also we had uh, the reading of a theater play, we had the launch of, uh, of, uh, of a digital magazine, a gay digital magazine. We also were throwing an iftar because it was the first, uh, like Ramadan was happening during Beirut Pride. We also had a queer poetry night, a fashion show for gender fluidity, another storytelling night. We had a fantastic kick-ass uh, query okay that was supposed to happen, but was canceled, what was suspended. We had a legal workshop. We had a, like, a 
bar hopping slash block street party on Saturday. We had a panel about sexual health awareness. We had another um, panel about masculinity and femininity. We had parties and so on. So yeah. No, wow. that's, that's that's beautiful. That's um, I'm I'm kind of jealous now. <laughs> Listen, it's quite intense. That I can promise. It's quite uh, intense. Uh, but I heard one in particular caught my attention. The family panel. Can you explain what that yeah. is exactly? Listen, um, a lot of people still believe that homosexuality, and they publicly say that homosexuality destroys the fabrics of society and the fabrics of families themselves. We also know that a lot of people, LGBTIQ plus individuals, are in distress because of the family pressure, because they cannot be themselves in the family, in the house they live in. They also are extremely judged by their parents, and the homophobic comments they hear are not at all something positive in the growth of a person and the evolution of a young person. So and a lot of people are hindered by the family's perspective and view on LGBTIQ plus matters in general and the gay and lesbian in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we did is that it was the first event of the Youth Pride. It took place on Saturday, May 12th. So we, it was a brunch in, uh, in, 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 in a venue in town. And uh, it was to honor, to meet and greet, to do uh, to, to just come with parents who are who came to terms with uh, with uh, with their kids being uh, being gay or being lesbian or being trans and wow. so on. It's important because also it sends you know it sends a message a very positive message to other families. It sends to a very positive message to other parents and it sends another positive message to other young people but more importantly it also sends it's a very political message actually because it answers people who still insist that homosexuality will destroy your family and you know every time police is arresting or interrogating somebody on the grounds of homosexuality there is always a very common question that comes and this question is do your parents know that you are gay? Definitely, yeah. And if the person tells them no, then they will be calling the parents and they will out the person to the parents. If you come and you tell them, yes, I am gay, and they say, no, I am gay, and there is no shame in this, then you make them lose a bullet. And you make them lose an argument, actually, that they were holding against you. Empowerment is... You know, also the word empowerment, this is another thing I, not, I don't enjoy because I don't believe <laughs> I that, that I don't be what I hate that word. I, 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 I uphold because, you know, you don't you don't detain power for you to give it to people. And power is not something you give. Power is something that you take, period. Second thing, for example, if I want to empower between uh, comma, inverted comma, bracket, whatever, if I want to empower, let's say, a woman or a trans person, what do I do? I can't tell them, oh, this is the power, take it and use it. No, it doesn't work like this. What I can do is that I can first give them platforms and space for them to be able to speak and to be visible and to be present, make sure that they are not going to be uh, aggressed or attacked uh, at these platforms I'm giving them. And I can make sure that I am, in my daily practice, neutralizing all the people who are having a speech that is anti-women or anti-trans. This is what what can create this empowerment between inverted stuff 
also for people to be able to come and speak about themselves. They need to be quite, uh, it's an evolution, it's a process they need to go through. And also part of this process is called education. And education is not only what you learn at school and what you learn at university. Is it is about what you want to read, about what you want to have access to. We live in 2018. Everything is accessible. The world is in our smartphone. You have access to all kinds of literature for you to read. If you don't like to read, it's okay. Watch a video on YouTube, whether it's a text or a video, they are free of charge. You don't like to watch a video, listen to a podcast. And you don't want to listen to a podcast, watch an infographic. At the end of the day, we have access to a lot of information. In 2018, ignorance is a choice. I agree. Yeah. So when, when you are giving this platform to people, whether they are young people who are LGBT who want to, to, to have the proper arguments to, to, to defend themselves when they are being attacked by homophobic arguments, whether you want to tell a trans person that I don't care what is between their legs, all that I care is them as human beings that need to be properly respected. When I, I'm sick of having um, when I'm sick of having people uh, and, and women in particular objectified simply as as, as uh, being looked at as being a piece of meat and so on. Because yes, some people want to be looked at as a piece of meat and they want to be sexually objectified and so on. And we're not here to preach Puritanism or Protestantism or whatever. But at the end of the day, we cannot only offer one discourse when you are showing this specific aspect and only this specific aspect. Yeah. Hadi, can we hang out with you if we ever visit Lebanon? You're so awesome. You're, you're most welcome. I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Things are so No, I know, obvious. I know. It's just like... And it's so accessible no. because, yeah. you know, like this conversation, for instance, I had it with, with, with Joey and I have it with many people around, you know? Yeah. When, when you want things to change, you need to carry a lot of fire within you for you, for, for you to be able to, to act as this uh, catapult, as this, uh, you know, as this... Uh, this missile as this bullet as this whatever you know as this projectile yeah. it's called passion it needs to be rational you need to to learn you need to to read and and uh, it, it's so much fun yeah mm. i agree that ignorance is fully a choice and like it doesn't fly anymore it's not an excuse anymore but uh, also the passion is it's uh it's not only just a feeling it's a work ethic it sounds like it's like you have you have to have the devotion and you have to have the energy and you have to have the ability to do it. And it seems like a rare combination to find in leaders, you know? Well, of course, this is why the civic right movements are slacking for the past years and years and years. Because uh, let's be very clear about it. If things are not moving forward, it's because these files are not carried by the smartest and the most articulate people. You don't necessarily have the right people at the right place, at the right moment, at the right uh, conjecture of, of elements. If things are not moving forward, it's because we are led by mediocre people. Why don't you want to say it? Why do we always want to be in the politically correct? And it's so politically correct that it became, uh, that it stinks, it's politically incorrect. When you want to move forward, you need to say, who is this, who is not this? You know, when I started Beirut Pride, mm -hmm. I knew that I will, I'm, as of now, I'm already preparing my exit from Beirut Pride. I don't want to spend my life doing Beirut Pride. I have other things to do. But also, you need to bring to big platforms a fresh and a new blood, a new vision, a new thing of doing things. Yeah, makes sense. Totally makes sense. I organize events. I yeah. teach it at university. 
I do, uh, I, I've already worked on programs, whether for local organization or international ones, for public sector and for the private sector. I can bring other people to organize Beirut Pride, I can bring other people to do the programming of Beirut Pride. But the thing that I personally bring to Beirut Pride is the reflection, is the way of saying, th of saying things the way they are. And you see that things move forward, which and what does move forward mean? Move forward, it means that we are going in the direction where we, whereby we are securing a, spa a space where people feel good about themselves, with less discrimination and less hate. Mm -hmm. So you realize that when we, when we are moving forward, it's because we have people who are full of devotion, which is called discipline. They are full of energy, and energy here, you know, energy comes with passion. When you are passionate about something, you will, the energy will just come. Yeah. So, so this, is a, this is a rigor that needs to be present. It's discipline. You want to do sports, you need to be disciplined. You want to do it, be theater, to do theater, you need to be disciplined. You need to do a podcast, you need to be disciplined. Yeah, yeah. And it, it has to, it has to not feel like a chore. Like you, it, no, you have yeah. to love it. You have to love it. Yeah. Obviously, because it's tedious and because you have to, you listen to and use your witness and you acknowledge things from left and right and blah, blah, blah. But also you can't expect change to happen when you are assessing the work you do based on the paycheck you get. Right. Which means this is why I hate the word activism because activism has become a trend. Activism is simply a profession. People just, they don't find a job. So they want to open an NGO and they just want to go and beg for money and blah, blah, blah. In Beirut Pride, we never ask for money actually because we are investing in Beirut Pride from our own money. I call my friends, I tell them, listen, you have money, come here. You need to step, pay this because I need to do one, two, three, four, five. Whether they like it or not, I don't care. But this has to happen because next time when I hear that there is a gay man, a trans lady, a trans man or a lesbian lady who are being uh, arrested, then yeah. I know that it's also part of my responsibility because I wasn't fast enough. It is a race against, uh, against, against time, against everything. And this is how we have to work. Slacking is not an option. And I can't do this because I want to, to monetize my work. I can't just work as a part-timer in an NGO and get paid $4,000 to do this job but if they ask me to do an additional work, then I want to ask for a raise. And if the raise is not present, that I will not be working. Because this is not a profession. This is why, for example, I want at a certain moment to get out of being tried, not to not at least not be so invested as much as I am now. Yeah. And this is how things become healthy and this is how things sustain. Yeah. Um that's, uh, if you don't mind, I, I would really love to build on what Hadi was sort of saying about language as well, because I think that that's a fundamental part of um, any, any civil society movement. There's a really fundamental issue in the MENA region of people using certain language, like, like, like empowerment, which is the worst word to be using. But it imposes the idea that the power or the authority or the freedom or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve comes through this non-governmental organization and that non-governmental organization can quite often be subsidizing the fact that the government isn't acting where they should be um and these this language is really not helpful it's a top-down approach um and I, I can promise you there's not a single person like that i met while i was there that needed empowering they've all got like a boatload to offer 
Um, and I think there's a fundamental issue, particularly with outsiders coming in, and I'm speaking as an outsider myself in this situation, um, and assuming that people are victims, assuming that people need to be given something in order to um, achieve what it is that they feel like they need to achieve. And often they're dictating what people need to, in, in these vulnerable situations, what they think they need to achieve, which isn't asking the community itself. Um, so I, I think I think what Beirut Pride does, and I think what, what I tried to do with the podcast, was work with a grassroots approach of what do people want to say? What do people want to talk about? And how do you facilitate that? How do you facilitate people moving forward? Because 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 there's a whole imperialist mindset behind any other alternative. It, it drives me a little bit mad. So yes, yeah, so I'm really glad the issue of language came up. Um, and it comes through in like things like peace. Like when people talk about peace, what are they talking about? It depends on who they are and what context they're coming from. Like human rights, it's like it's it's great if you live in a country that has that on your in your law. Right. But it doesn't exist in a lot of countries unless you've signed up to the Human Rights Act. Because if that's what you're talking about, then it's a very different thing. You know, it, it, it's um. Yeah, so I'm very glad this conversation came up. Me too. On a personal level where I'm really invested. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that actually does make a lot of sense. Like, you, like we couldn't say go to Beirut and establish like a safe space because it, when it, no one else in the area is holding it up or no one else is invested or the government isn't invested in the idea itself because as soon as we go away for whatever reason, you know, that space is gone. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as our money goes away, that space is gone. So we can't... Like, the people in the West cannot be doing it for other people. Absolutely, absolutely. No, 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 nobody has to do it for other people. No, yeah. Exactly. But it's, exactly. Like, it's like the reminder of, like, everyone can speak for themselves and wants to speak for themselves. But yeah, was... It's the mentality of a lot of nonprofits and NGOs. Not all. I don't want to be tarring everybody with the same brush, but that, that is a mentality that exists. Which, yeah, which I think is, is an important part of countering in terms of the civil rights movement for, for gender and sexual rights. It's a really important thing to take into account. Yeah, that makes sense. By the way, Joy, what brought you to Beirut? Um, well, actually, I was there, like, first time I was there, I was there for an exhibition on Palestinian embroidery. So it was a bit oh of a Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. I've never been um, more interested in my life about Palestinian embroidery now. I know, that's so cool. Oh, it's amazing. So my PhD is actually on, on gender in Palestine. So I'm looking at women's bodies, but that's the whole other um, wow. other side of things. Yeah. And then, so that that was the first time you went to Beirut? Did you, and then you went back a second time? It was, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, all my travel is down to whether or not I can get um, grants from for, for, for research. Oh, right, um, in right. So um, I have to be able to justify it to somebody why I'm, why I'm flying to those places, because that's what I rely on as a researcher. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I, I knew as soon as I was there the first time, I wanted to go back and invest properly because because it's a really extraordinary city. Yeah. Um, it's really extraordinary. I've never been anywhere like it. It's um, simultaneously amazing and terrifying. And um, yeah. so it's extremities of everything. It's extremities of everything. And like what, what doesn't work is really messed up. And what does work is um, is extraordinary. And like I said before, there's this amazing community of crazy talented, passionate, intelligent, multi-dimensional people. You know, everyone has three jobs and they're a DJ at the weekend. Um, no big deal. And yeah, well, as yeah. a community, it just gives me life. There's just so much energy. It makes me feel very lazy. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Ellie and I hope to visit Beirut together someday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Ellie's parents are both from 
Lebanon, but Ellie hasn't been back forever. Like, like since I was five, and yeah. I am well over 30 right now. I'm so. sure things have changed a little bit. Yes, that whole, <laughs> that whole war thing is over now, so... Yeah, that's that's a whole separate thing. But um... well, that's amazing. One one of the things that really struck me in Beirut was um, how how powerful the trans activists were, um, and like there's some really extraordinary people working to make life better for people. It's actually it's legal to um, to, tran- to to go through a surgical transition, to go on hormones and everything, and to register once you've gone through the the medical procedures to change your your gender on your birth certificate. A problem if you don't go through the the whole medical process, you're still stuck with with your with your birth assigned gender. But there is there is is a community there of trans people who are doing some extraordinary work. um, And it's 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 a place that's very alive for me. There's um, yeah, yeah, some very, very powerful voices. So someday, Ellie. But that's I always felt that trans people usually stand out in these communities for a lot of reason. And I think one of them is like, especially for trans women, especially if we start late, you know, we do stand out. We can't really cover that up after a while or at least becomes very difficult and annoying too. So, yeah, but as always, trans women are at the front, which is so valuable. And so it's awesome and so crazy. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. In a very courageous, good way. But I think it's somewhat out of necessity, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Because Um, there's a lot of people who are very talented who may have other avenues in life shut off, but that's a whole whole separate conversation. I shouldn't be having this one here. Well, it's... No, it's part of what we're talking about. I know, but... But part of it is doing the good where you are, to remedy not only the problems for yourself but those around you and i feel that's a lot of it yeah but yeah <sighs> i think i think an example of what you're what you're what you're describing which um i've definitely witnessed in other people um is sasha elijah who's um she, she's a trans model in beirut she's extraordinary and she gets inundated by um by press from all over the world to oh. talk about the lgbtq plus community in beirut um, oh. Which I think for, she's she's 21, and I think it can be totally overwhelming for her. But so as someone that's been publicly a trans woman for a few years, oh she's gosh. she's seen she's seen as a little bit as press fodder, to be honest. I mean, she handles amazingly. She's yeah. extraordinary at it. And oh my god, I've, I've never heard of like, her. I'm just looking her up now. Wow. She's on the podcast, so I'm totally. Oh, <laughs> I haven't heard that episode. Okay, well, I'm gonna definitely listen to that episode next. All right. So cool. But there is there, there there is an extent to which I think yeah people do look in and kind of go oh trans woman we need to interview her right like after yeah. everything happened with Pride she said that there was a journalist that flew all the way from Brazil to talk to her after Hadi was arrested yeah mm-hmm. wow so there's a very strange I mean it's 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 great that Beirut gets all the press it gets and I know I'm part of that but also there is a very um, yeah, people are really keen on it at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Which wasn't the case when I first went to Beirut. Um, it's changed. Oh, so a lot has happened since then. Um, I've always noticed that, at least in like the press and journalist circles, that Beirut always seems to have like a special place in everyone's heart who's been there. I always found it sort of weird, but I'm starting to get it now, like many years later. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we mentioned on a, I think, 
I think it was on an episode. We mentioned like even Anthony Bourdain just was yeah when... felt so connected to it, and like you hear you hear a lot of that where it's like once someone's been to Beirut, it just stays with them. And you know, being the child of Lebanese immigrants, I heard all about it. And I'm like, what's so? What's the big deal? You yeah, know, but now, now I'm sort of getting it. Yeah, there's a romanticism about Beirut, definitely. I mean, Hadi, you're going to know more than this. My experience is people say it's great unless you can't leave. I do yeah. believe that also there is a big part of, uh, of exotism. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, just going to Lebanon is, uh, you know, for people, Lebanon is the Middle East, or at least it's the closest they can get to the action they see on mainstream news when it comes to the Middle East. You come to Lebanon, you come to Beirut, to its capital, and you can easily speak uh, French and English, and it's accessible. And people are generous, and the food is good, and so on, and everybody wants to party. So it's quite, it's quite entertaining, and it's definitely entertaining when you're staying uh, here for a few, for a limited time, because you know that you are literally on vacation, or at least you, you know, you want to explore and to visit and everything. It doesn't mean that people are not genuinely interested in Beirut. No, I'm sure that some people are. Uh, like you know, you have a lot of people who come and who stay, um, and uh, yeah, there is there is a charm, there is a charm, and there, I believe there is a lot of tenderness also. Yeah, uh, that people are very much uh, that can be sensitive to. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it's accessible. It's a very accessible. Uh, it's a very accessible city. I find I personally find it to be also a very aggressive city, a very angry city, um, mm -hmm. but there is. There is intensity, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Joy maybe can say even more about it. It is that. It's very aggressive and it's very accessible. I mean, that's pretty much the summary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Joy and I talked earlier, uh, we talked on the phone briefly and she was like, England just feels so muted now, you know, compared to... like." I think you had just gotten back from Beirut when I talked to you. Recently. Oh, I'm still recovering. Like I, I, I'm terrible at coming back home. It's not my forte. I need another flight booked. Um, yeah, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me you just like you miss the energy and the intensity. I, I, I think I feel I feel like I feel more at home in Arab culture than I do in English culture. I think um, yeah, people are too polite in England. Yeah, I totally get it. Like just the the closeness the expressive like people being expressive but again sounding like beirut it's also you know having a lebanese family it's also very intense and sometimes intrusive yeah sometimes oh, ellie, yes, of course sometimes of course. ellie is like uh can we take a break from my family for a while <laughs> like um, like a month just yeah. can, can we just like not go to everything that month yeah because her family um ellie has a pretty big family here where we are most of her relatives immigrated to the u.s and they all live in the same city as us sometimes ellie's just like i just can't <laughs> i can't right now although if i don't go i do miss the food and i do miss my uh, a few specific people but you know that uh, yeah very aggressive very passionate if my saudi family lived here i would be the same i i would definitely need small doses so okay. I, I get it. But your your family's pretty chill, oh, I yeah. think. But, uh... I actually come from a very religious, very intense family, which I feel like is a big part of how I've ended up doing what I do. Oh, I bet. Yeah. That yeah, I feel sense. like I relate. I feel like English friends sometimes think I'm a bit crazy when I tell them about my upbringing and uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you totally, you totally get it. Small doses, please. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, they've all moved into the next town now. They've been, they're following me. Oh, my yeah. God. That is both yeah, sweet exactly. and a little terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> both. Yeah. Um, so. So, Hadi, uh, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, this might be a little inappropriate to ask, and we can cut it if you want, but, like, how's your family with all this? How's your family life? Listen, it's very, I was, uh, I, I believe on Tuesday, I was having a conversation with this lady, and uh, I told her that family plays a very important role in whatever you do. I give you an example. My mother knows I'm gay since I was 19 or 20, something like this. Mm -hmm. And my father knows I'm gay like a few, like uh, recently, and my sister also does, like uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Imagine uh, if, for example, when I started having uh, organizing Beirut Pride and my name circulating in, in the press and so on, imagine if my parents came and said, listen, this is too much for us, we can't uh, do it, we, we might get pressure, we don't want to be outed, we don't want people to, you know, to look at us funny. You, you, you know, you, people have quite a lot of concerns, especially in closed and small societies like Lebanon and uh, small countries in general. Mm -hmm. uh, that would definitely might have raised tensions and it would definitely have created uh, uh, things a little bit maybe different uh, because I was arrested, for example, my parents were present in front of the police station and so on. So there was this, uh, this whole support that was present and that is somehow important. Yeah. Uh, when you, and this is a reason actually why we did this family comes first uh, branch because it's very important to never break on the presence of the family because if, for example, uh, families and parents are relaxed about LGBT matters. With, this means that already they are talking to the kids about LGBT matters when the kids are still kids. So if the people turn out to be gay, lesbian, bi, trans, that will be that will not necessarily be something utterly new. And the conversation might have happened, or there might have been a hint. And this will assist also the person growing up uh, feel less lonely and know that this is something that they may be able to discuss with their parents or simply they know that there is love in the air and there is understanding that is present uh, yeah so the, the the approach of the presence of the parents uh, is very important because no matter what people want to say and how much people want to be disconnected from everything everyone at the end of the day you always see better when you know that you can benefit from family support and you know that no matter how intrusive they are and annoying they get and uh, they do things uh, upside down and you're like, oh, just stop it. <laughs> you know, you know that, you know, there's always, you know, if this thing was not happening, you know that it would be missing. So this is why it's very important that we constantly, when it comes to LGBT matters, that we also work a lot with straight people and with families in general. Because the more you do this, the more you are, you are widening the space for young people to, 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 to exist and to come to terms with their sexualities with less drama. And you know, I believe also the, 
you know, the, we, this LGBT fight is something that you really need to close uh, the fastest because, you know, even when you use the expression come to terms with sexuality, it really feels like you're coming to terms with something dramatic or something that is so negative. It's quite heartbreaking when some people literally uh, are afraid going to their parents telling them who they love because they are afraid of being abandoned from the family or having to choose between their emotions and their religion and the emotion and the family and the emotion and the environment they grew up in or the job they do and so on. So we're in 20, I don't know, 20 something, 2018. This conversation is so ancient. We really need to, to, to be properly focused for these things to be resolved and for the conversation to be shifted for things that are more important for the challenge of our centuries not to things that have been debated for years and centuries and millennia because same-sex intercourse and uh, and uh, the same-sex love are things that exist from day one that humanity exists so let's stop uh, this bigotry and let's simply be able to think smartly strategically intelligently so we can see how much we can contain things to move forward quickly. And yeah. family and parents play a very big role. Yeah, because I know, like in my family, ever since I came out, it's like now that they, everyone sort of had their dramatic moment, you know, yelling at me and has had 20 years to deal with it, any of my cousins who come out or even anyone of my parents' generation who decides to come out, you know, they're, they're probably going to have a much easier time now because yeah, it's been dealt with. Yeah. But you know what? I really don't care that they are having a, a, a better time or an easier time or not. It's literally their problem within themselves. Hmm. And this is also what you need to review when it comes to education, because we grow up with a lot of expectation. We grow up and even want to make babies having expectation and wanting the baby to be whatever we want them to be. We already want to draft the future for a person without even asking them. We always, you know, it's very selfish. We want to be the best parents. We want to be the best father, we want to be the best mother, we want to be the best teacher, we want to be the best whatever. But at the end of the day, it's not about you. Yeah. You, For you to be a father is that because there's a, ch a child. So it's not about you, it's about the child. Because if the child did not exist, you would not be a father, you would not be a mother. Yeah. So it's very important that you be the best thing that this child needs you to be for the growth of this person not for your ideas and for the preconceived things that you wanted to make and to have, just to say that, look, I'm so good, look, I'm so... It's not, it's not a competition between you and yourself and you and the others, who is the best father and who is the best mother. And it's not, you don't need the consent of the others for you to be good. You just need to know that you're doing all what you should do for the betterness and the growth of this individual that yeah. you call my child. Definitely makes sense. And any other things, and any other view on, 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 on parenthood, I believe, does not make sense at all. It's not about you having your pre-established ideas and then putting and then, then creating a mold of, out of these ideas and having your child fit in the mold. It is you, however, who needs to be sensitive and receptive to what the child needs for you to be able to be the best version for the growth and for the existence and the and the the, the epanouissement, the flourishing, the blossoming of the person. This right. is to me what parenthood means. The focus should be, yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful. So yeah, yeah. Pa pa parent, 
You, so yes, the, the presence of the parents is important because no matter how much people want to say, I don't care about religion, I don't care about this, I don't care. At the end of the day, we grow up in the family. Uh, we grow up in, in, in the system of our family. We know how important it is when our mother or our father says about, speak about something. We know that their opinion and their approach is important. We know that their words are valuable. Yes. And this is also something that we need to understand. Because when today I want to make a change, I need to understand that I don't make a change and I don't do something just based on what my parents feel. I had to be very strict with my parents personally many times, especially when I was doing some, when I, uh, when I was sharing my opinions about something. And my parents used to be shocked sometimes. And my mother sometimes told me, this shocks me and I'm not amused. I told her, sorry, mom, but I don't care much about your emotions. I do respect them. I don't want you to be unhappy. But at the end of the day, I believe in what I do. I cannot build a society. I cannot build a country based on your own emotions. Yeah, because there can't. are dynamics, they yeah. are dynamic, they will change. Today you feel like this, tomorrow you will feel something different. You don't understand, come speak, come ask questions, and that's it. No, and you really understand that when you speak very, in a very rational way with parents, sometimes they understand and they listen. It might take them time, but they might listen and understand and reflect. There's always I don't that know much how it happens. Know how it happens abroad i know for example with the mediterranean culture of families and especially with the image of the mother because yeah we always say that these are the arab things are very patriarchal and, and so on but at the end of history yes how important is the role that mothers play in the family because the the the, is the mother and one who more for the oh, actually, sorry. Cardi, um, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. The sound just got really choppy. So yeah, uh, mothers do have so much influence. Like they. Oh, Audio, it's not working. Oh dang! Yeah, for some reason the sound just got really weird. Um, choppy. Um, here, try saying something again. Are you good? No. No. Dang it. Joy, can you say something? Let me see if we can hear you. Hi, is this working? Yeah, hey. your end is working. Uh, um, more Paddy, try reading off and on again. Yeah. Can you hear me? Sound like a robot, darling. Yeah, can you hang up and we'll add you back? Okay, one second. <laughs> I'm lucky. Yeah. Uh, like I said, an authentic uh, Beirut experience right there. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense, guys. Like, I, I, I'm oh, a little kind of drunk from pride. So. Oh, yeah. I'm okay, sure. Hadi, um, how you doing? Yeah. Voice. You are still a robot, sir. Oh, no. Well, maybe this is a good place to wrap up at the moment. I guess. No. Uh, oh, okay. Well. Well, I guess we're going to have to wrap it up because the sound just got really wonky. Um, uh, well, here, say something again, Hadi. Be good. You're still a robot. Well, I guess... Like something from a sci-fi movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is like a sci-fi movie. 
Well, Hadi, are you a Cylon? Yeah. Hadi, reveal. <laughs> but no, <laughs> unfortunately, I... <laughs> Hadi, uh, Hadi, we'll send you the recording of this robot part. You'll love it. <laughs> let, let me... So, Joy, uh, thank you so much for being here. Hadi, thank also you thank you. you. Yes, and th and thank you so much, Hadi. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Of course, now Hadi's voice is perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hadi, if someone wants to reach out to you or to, I guess, the organization in general, how would they contact you? We're very accessible. It's BeirutPride.org. It's any handle on the social media, be it uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram. And my email is Hadi, H-A-D-I, at BeirutPride.org. Perfect. And then, Joy, is there a good, what's the best way for people to reach out to you at the podcast? Um, that would be through queernarrativesbeirut.com or queernarrativesbeirut at gmail.com. Awesome. Oh, yeah. and also, actually, one quick shout out before we finish, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I'm asking people to send audio messages to the podcast. We've got a series of episodes called Letters to Queer Narratives Beirut. Um, and it's people for people's personal stories. It's for responses to the podcast or messages to... Lebanon's LGBTQI plus community. So if anybody wanted to send in a, a phone recording of themselves having a little conversation, um, you are very, very welcome. Um, and that was the email address. So queernarrativesbeirut at gmail.com. Perfect. I love that. I really love that you're doing that. That's such a good idea. People um, keep making me cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. There's people just like, I'm. it's just, so, it's just such, a, it's such a lovely community exercise and community there's that word again but you know it's, it's <laughs> such a beautiful thing it's hard to, to get away people. from that word it is isn't it but um yeah no it's such a beautiful yeah. thing and it's such a personal thing it's it's yeah it's wonderful yeah. it's been a real pleasure okay I, if you allow me oh, before yeah, i wrap yeah. it up joy can you you said earlier that you don't like the word empowerment can you say why um yeah i i i built on it a little bit while you were off the phone um I, but yeah because it, it because it's that implication that power can be passed on to somebody or can be endowed upon somebody as opposed to the idea that they have it inherently themselves and it's top-down things that are stopping them from being able to make use of that. Um, which yeah. is why I was saying that Beirut Pride is wonderful because it's a bottom-up approach to, to allowing people to have their own place, their own voice, their own power. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love we that. did have that on the recording in slightly more articulate terms. Oh, like, oh, fantastic. I'm looking voice. forward to listening to it later on. Yeah. So yeah. you keep on surprising us with how articulate you are. You should be the queer narrative. You should be the one rating. <laughs> you are awesome. Yeah. Try to keep other people at the front. <laughs> uh, one small nerd note on my end. It's like, I love that all this sort of uh, queer Arab, queer, like Middle East pride stuff is happening now, but it's also kind of cool. It's happening also like right now now because like all the good domain names are still open. Like you can still register anything. We got the queer Arabs. Like who thought we were gonna get that? 
Ah, uh, sweetheart, let's not go there because I had a similar experience. So imagine <laughs> what was happening. It was in August 2016, and this is when I knew that Beirut Pride was going to happen. So I go online, I go on GoDaddy, and I was able to find the domain name available by Beirut Pride. I'm like, what? Okay, so I take it. And then I'm like, let's see if it's available on Facebook. I find it on Facebook and I panic. I'm like, how the heck it is available? And then I go on Instagram, it's available. On Twitter, it's available. I'm like, okay, it's a bloody sign. This should happen, you know, and uh, it's quite intense. Yeah, it's and weird. Keep it a trade secret. I had the same experience, but like keep it on the down low so that the next lot of people that come up with something have their domain options. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, it'll just be a secret between us and all whatever of our listeners yeah <laughs> but yeah actually, don't tell anyone yeah, actually, even, you know, before we wanted to call it beirut pride we were reflecting is it the orient pride the arab pride the levant pride the mediterranean pride the blah 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 pride the lebanon pride and you know you go through all these things and then you realize that all these things make no sense until you'll be very specific to the place where you are and you call it by the name of your city and this is what makes the difference because you know change i can't be based in beirut and be operating and, and pretending to make a change in the north of lebanon i'm not there i'm physically not there yeah you know so even when you want to go to the concept of arab and when you speak about queer arab and you know in london they have the uh, pride arabia and uh, and so on you know there's also this fetishism of what is an arab and you know having this uh, this gay arab man who's tall who's very filled who's dark haired with this dark olive skin yeah. uh, you know with the body hair and so on it is literally something and 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 you hear comments sometimes from people visiting and uh, european and american people who are on who, with whom you blab on grinder let's say and then <laughs> they are shocked they are very shocked for example when they are in a and this night club and at 2 a.m they are playing arabic music and they are seeing all these uh this hairy, big uh, man with the Muslims who suddenly start belly dancing. And for them, this is a shock because for them, this image as seen in porn, for example, is the image of a top man, the, the man who's dominating and so on. So giving them, so when they are saying <laughs> that this profile of man actually is belly dancing, it is quite shocking. And it's even more shocking when they tell you, oh, this guy with all his, uh, with all his muscles and all his, uh, you know, with the butty hair and the dark skin, blah, blah, blah. He, 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 he wanted to butt up and I, 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 I was disappointed. You know, this perception we have <laughs> of the other is, fan is literally fantastic because uh, this fetishism and this, and this is what we call Orientalism also, this neo-Orientalism in 2018 is quite present. It's quite savage, actually. So sometimes you're just... Like, you know, one of the questions that keep on coming up uh, to me when they ask me, you know, in Beirut Pride, they always ask me, what, it, what, what, what is it like to grow up as a gay man in the Middle East? Yeah, how do you answer that? <laughs> well, I, first, I, uh, so, so, so first I have a fit, because every time I really have to, to, to explain history and geography for the person who's sending this question, and I also feel very disappointed, because it means one thing. It means that the journalist who's sending me the question is literally ignorant of what is the Middle East. So therefore, they are just talking to us because we are sensational to them. And we are just dramatic and we are in and we are hip, 
you know? Yeah. And because first thing you need to do is you need to explain to people what the Middle East is and tell them that this is an umbrella term used to designate many countries. You're, then you are to explain to people that every country has its own specificities. And it's not because we have the Arabic, classical Arabic language in, that we shared that we have the same history and the same dynamics. Then, third thing, you need to explain to people that within the same country, you have a lot of differences. Then you need to explain that within the same city, within the same street, within the same household, you have difference. And therefore, when you are saying how it is to grow as a gay man in the Middle East makes no sense. It would have been even better if they asked, how is it to grow up as a gay man in Lebanon, specifically in Beirut? Because, you know, being in, in a part of the city is not like being in the capital and so on. And after they ask this question, I say this, I need to explain to them that me, growing as a Lebanese citizen in Beirut, is totally different from me growing up as a, as a refugee in Beirut. It's totally different than growing up as, a, as an expat living in Beirut. So what it means, the, the, the proper question must be, what it means, how is it to grow up as a Lebanese gay man in Beirut? This is when I can start answering. And my question is never white on black because no person can ever claim to give you an answer to this. Because you know, when you are growing up as a gay man or as a whatever man, and woman or person and so on. You have a lot of things that are at play. It is about also, let's say, the finance of the family, the composition of the family itself. So if, are your parents available? Are the parents not available? Are you receiving love? Are you not receiving love? Are the people here, are, they, are you living only with your parents? Are you living with the extended family? What is the, the relationship to money? Are they always anxious because they are not make, uh, able to make to pay the bills? Or are they too rich? Are they too stingy? Are they too religious? Are they, uh, are they fun people? Are they traditional people? All these elements come to shape you in your childhood. And all these elements will affect you when you are opening up to sexuality. If they want to follow the school that says that sexuality only develops with you being a teenager. So all these elements come at stake in the development of a person. So the best question we can say when it comes to what it means to grow as a Lebanese gay man in Beirut is, and here I quote, Growing up as a Lebanese gay man in Lebanon is exactly like growing up as a Lebanese man in Beirut from the same social, uh, socioeconomic conditions and so on, in addition to, so they have the same things, in addition to uh, discrimination that you live because people don't, a lot of people still don't understand what you are, what you're doing, and yeah. why you're having these emotions. So it's the same. Take two individuals coming yeah. from, take two brothers from the same household, from the same experiences who went, you know, they, they lived things, two twins, okay, two twins who have so many things, they lived in common and so on. So they, they share a lot, a huge pool of, of common elements. One is gay, the other is not. They, they grew up the same. The only difference is that the gay man had to go through discrimination and misunderstanding based on who he is and who he loves. What do yeah. you think? Yeah. It This makes me uh, think of the support group saying is begin with all statements with I, because you can't speak for others. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, Definitely. absolutely.
Yeah, and the Middle East, like, people need to remember, the Middle East is a very diverse region. There's no way to answer a question like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I I, I find the same questions from my contemporaries and... um, and actually, what, what what disturbs me the most is when people like I, I have friends who are, say, Palestinian activists who sometimes pass um, Europeans or Americans over to me to be like, she can tell you. And I'm like, wow, why do people think I, what I have to say is more valid than what they have to say when they live it? But they believe that these people are going to leave me more. It's such a weird dynamic when it comes to the Middle East. Yeah, Still trying yeah. to explain to people that Lebanon is not a desert. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think if somebody told me that Lebanon was a desert, I would just be like, I just like awkwardly just walk away from the conversation. Just be like, I can't even, <laughs> I can't, I'm, I don't even know where to begin with you. Just bye. <laughs> just bye. Uh, yes. Listen, I, I was in Prague and I was walking and then I look, uh, somebody tells me, ah, Lebanese restaurant. And then I look and I see a camel. <laughs> what? A camel. So I go and I'm like, oh, plastic Lebanese restaurant. He's like, yes, you should eat Lebanese food, it's so good. I'm like, mm, okay. And he's like, I'm like, we have camels. He says, yes, because I'm like, oh, they have camels. He says, yes, <laughs> in Lebanon. He says, yes, of course, it's the East. And, you know, I just know that he says, why? Because when Lebanese, I come from Lebanon, I haven't been desert yet. You're a robot, You're honey. a robot again. <laughs> David, but that was awesome because you were kind of a robot, and then we just heard camels and camels. <laughs> which, which is, I imagine, what it is like for those people. That's all they hear. It's like, oh, the Middle East. Blah blah blah. Camels, this camels, that. <laughs> That's actually that was actually very appropriate because it's like a good description of what people, some people's mindsets are about the Middle East. It's like blah blah blah. Camels, this camels, that. <laughs> so. Oh, how do you got disconnected? Okay. Well, I guess we know. Oh, hey, you're back. And you're still horrible. I guess on this, (laughs) that's a good, well, I think that's a good way, uh, place to wrap it up anyway. Thank you all very much for listening. You can write us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the the queer Arabs. And please rate and review us on iTunes. And again, check out Queer Narratives Beirut and send them a recording, um, a voice note um, to be included in their their letters series. We'll post more information about that. So thank you both so much again. Thank you again, Hadi. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you, guys.